Karen Elliott. We have a number of Karens here this morning. This one, Karen Elliott from Baltimore. Jennifer also from Baltimore. Nina from Philly. Good morning. Randy and Judy Myers also with us from a fellow ethical society. Randy and Judy Myers. Sorry, I was thinking of Randy Best. Randall, I'm not used to thinking of you as Randall, just Randy and Judy, glad you're with us from our local society here in DC. Paul, welcome from Baltimore. Yeah, thank you, Julie, for not calling us Karens, air quoted. Uh, you know, I'll own some piece of that, but thank you for the nod. <laughs> morning, Sarah. Good morning, Chuck from Philadelphia. I think Layla, it looks like you have a hand raised. Do you want to, um, we can't really unmute you, however. So I think you're going to need to type into the chat if you could, please. Thank you. Uh, Facebook Live is not yet live. So we need some mm. help with that. Good morning, Jen and Bill. John's working on the Facebook part of it. One more complication, technically. Uh, Layla, you, uh, your video is automatically off. Uh, this webinar format, you will see only presenters speaking. If you'd like to communicate, you can use the chat function. Uh, Tavis, thanks so much for letting us know more Baltimore folks are coming. Good morning to Perry Bider. Uh, Lynn is hearing an echo from me. I'm not sure what to do about that. Hopefully that will improve. Um, sometimes if you have two devices open, you may hear an echo as well, but I, I will wait for a nod from my tech people if there's something I need to do on my end. Oh, Tevis, I'm so sorry. Thank you for correcting the pronunciation. It's so important to get names and pronouns right. Someone with the Philadelphia Ethical Society is saying, why don't I see my name? And you have to change that on your end, uh, how you would like your photo to be identified. Good morning to Joni and Wayne. Ah, thanks, Sonia, for your help with uh, correcting for the echo. Good morning, Bob from Philadelphia. Oh, and now we're also live on Facebook. Woohoo! Welcome to all the folks on Facebook who are joining us now this morning, as well as um, guests from our Philadelphia and Baltimore ethical societies, from other ethical societies, um, and visitors from all nooks and crannies. It's great to have you with us this morning. Good morning, Donna. We're going to give another few minutes to let people join in, um, just to make sure everybody has a chance to be in the room. So, that's great. Oh, Sarah, so sorry that you were having trouble finding the link, but glad you did. We will make note of that difficulty and be, that can be something we try and sort out for the future. Johnny, Johnny, good morning. My apologies for the mispronunciation earlier. Thank you for correcting that. 
And we have the Deacons in the house. Excellent. <laughs> Happy to help Sarah. Always appreciate uh, feedback so that we can improve the experience for everyone. And continue to welcome folks as they are joining the meeting password. Let me get that for you. Although, uh, sorry, one second. It, the, it is, I'll read it out to you and then paste it into the chat. It is 8826650. Yes, Neil, that is correct. That is indeed the password. Good morning, Sue, and thanks for welcoming our visitors from all places. Hugh has added another link for the platform, which hopefully if you are hearing from friends that they are having trouble, you might pass that along to them as well. Good morning, Terry. And yes, it is indeed nice to mingle with our Baltimore and Philadelphia members as well as other folks. Emil, thanks so much for sending the the shorter link and the password on to Baltimore folks. We appreciate that very much. Again, this is a great time as we are welcoming additional people into the, into the room and our space together to uh, get yourself a beverage. If you'd like to join in our candle lighting later, you might want to locate a candle. And then please just settle in, make yourselves comfortable, and we'll begin very shortly. And just as I'm seeing the number of participants tick a little bit more, we're waiting. It looks like Hugh has a raised hand, um, but perhaps he can chat with us. Okay, you'll still see a few folks coming in, and we encourage folks as they are joining. Oh, no problem, Hugh. <laughs> you're entitled to raise your hand, although I think you're going to get a chance to speak later for sure. Um, as folks are entering, we encourage you to say hello in the chat. And if you're visiting from uh, outside of the West membership, we'd love to hear that you're from a different ethical society or where you're located. It's, it's always exciting to us to hear where folks are joining us from. And we also have folks on Facebook Live, and so we're delighted to have you with us as well. We'll give just one more moment and then we will formally begin. So we can, hopefully everybody has gotten settled and has joined the room. I'm still seeing a few more folks ticking in. But in honor of time, oh, hello from South Philly, M. Blacksmith, excellent. So happy to have you with us this morning. Okay. So again, welcome everyone, and I believe that we are Kathy and Tom have joined us, welcome. I think we are ready to begin. So again, if you wanna grab your candle to light during the candle lighting, your beverage of choice and get settled into a comfortable position, we will begin our platform this morning. So our time together this morning is gonna be full of hues. 
Our opening words this morning come from poet, novelist, fiction writer, and playwright Langston Hughes, known for his insightful, colorful portrayals of black life in America from the 1920s through the 60s. And he was important in shaping the artistic contributions of the Harlem Renaissance. This is his poem, Let America Be America Again. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain, seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil, I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean, hungry yet today despite the dream, beaten yet today. Oh pioneers, I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a serf of kings who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone, in every furrow turned that's made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left Dark Island's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lea and torn from Black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today. The millions shot down when we strike. The millions who have nothing for our pay, for all the dreams we've dreamed, and all the songs we've sung, and all the hopes we've held, and all the flags we've hung, the millions who have nothing for our pay, except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet and yet must be. 
the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again, America. Oh yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies. We, the people, must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains, and the endless plain, all, all the great stretch of those great green states, and make America again. Thank you, Karen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily. I'm tuning in from Los Angeles. I'll be sharing a few songs today. Um, this first one is a song of mine called Service. Um, and it asks the question, um, how can I best be of service? How can I try to best use the skills and the privilege I have to find a way to contribute? How can I best be of service to help this hurting world heal? To feel the depths of my privilege? Acting from love, not from fear. To stand firm on their shoulders Of wise ones who sacrificed Who Cause God knows that there's a long road Ahead if we're gonna carry your work And make things right Can 
can be a prayer for peace, peace, peace. Ooh. Thank you, Emily. That was beautiful. And welcome. Good morning, all, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Karen Schofield Leka. My pronouns are per and pers, shorthand for person. And I'm so glad you are here this morning. Even as we gather in new ways, it is good to be together. We are pleased to be joined this morning by a number of members from the Baltimore and Philadelphia Ethical Societies and other visitors, we especially welcome you as well. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at Maceot, so that's M-A-C-E-O-T, at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form and Maceo will put that link in the chat. And we hope you'll join us after the platform service and our Zoom coffee hour for a chance to say hello and have a small group conversation. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, but closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you don't want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it on your device by clicking on the red dot in the upper left of the chat box, clicking on the chat icon at the bottom or top of your screen, or even the low-tech version of sticking a post-it note or something over it so that the pop-ups don't disrupt you. Sometimes that low-tech approach is best. Each week, we spotlight a West member or team to read our statement of purpose. Sonia Coopers is not only president of the American Ethical Union, she has also been the primary tech host for Wes's Zoom platforms. So definitely someone who matches our summer theme of collaborators and co-conspirators. We thank her for the vital work she does for our community. And now I invite Sonia to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Sonia. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. 
Today, I'm particularly mindful of those in our DC and Philadelphia communities who are mourning overnight shooting deaths and of all who are struggling financially as the federal unemployment payment boost has expired. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. And now our platform speaker, Hugh Taft Morales, will lead us in meditation. Morning, everybody. I invite you just to relax and wherever you're sitting, try to sit up a little straight and take a deep breath down to your belly. I invite you to close your eyes or lower your gaze, whatever's more comfortable, and imagine in your mind's eye that you're walking along a path through a, a dark forest. Feel the, the cool air on your skin. Breathe deep. And imagine that you come to a forest pool and just as you turn the corner and see the pool, a fish jumps and creates a ripple in the water right in the middle going outwards. Watch the ripples go in your mind's eye. And as you breathe deep into your belly in this collective silence, imagine that the ripples go ever so slowly out towards the edge of the pond, quieting, fading, and becoming still as a mirror. Breathe deep and remain in silence for one moment. Thank you for bringing yourself to this program. Thank you. All right, everyone, um, following that beautiful meditation, 
The next song I'd like to play is one that was inspired by a passage of a Rumi poem, beloved to many of us, I'm sure. Um, but this particular poem contains the lines, let the beauty of what you love be what you do. There are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. In the touch of lava gears, when they just know In being held, how only a mother can hold To walk at night, trusting the light of a fool's glow It's all a song and offered truly from the soul in the art of holding silence, in the dance of making sound, in the blessing that is breathing in and out, in the radical, the ritual, the wild and the devout, there's a thousand ways to Bow in reverence to the water, earth, and sky. Just for a moment, stepping outside of time. Giving thanks to all that stokes the inner fire. Sometimes it's stillness that reminds us we're In the art of holding silence, in the dance of making sound, in the blessing that is breathing in and out, in the radical, the ritual, the wild and the devout, there's a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. There's a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the It is a great pleasure to welcome Hugh Taft Morales back to our platform this morning. Many of, of us know Hugh, of course, as a longtime member of WES, but for those who don't already have the pleasure of knowing Hugh, I'll add a bit more background for you. Hugh taught philosophy and history for 25 years in Washington, D.C., having graduated from Yale University and earned a master's in philosophy from University of Kent at Canterbury, England. Hugh has been an invigorating presence and ethical culture. Here at WES, he served as director of our coming of age program, a board member and board president. He completed a three-year leadership certification program with the Humanist Institute and he was certified by the American Ethical Union in 2010 as an ethical culture leader. Hugh now serves dual roles as the leader of the Baltimore Ethical Society and the Philadelphia Ethical Society. Hugh has also been engaged in American Ethical Union work, serving on the AU Planning Committee, as co-coordinator of the AU President's Council, and presently as president of the National Leaders' Council of the Ethical Humanist Movement. 
Thank you so much for being with us this morning, Hugh, and we look very much forward to your remarks this morning. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate it. Thank you for everybody gathering virtually today. Special thanks to the Washington Ethical Society for hosting this event and for inviting societies that I serve in Baltimore and Philadelphia to attend. Wes's summer theme is collaborators and co-conspirators, and this theme made me think of what we all need to do to be part of movements for justice, especially this summer for racial justice. And while my talk will range beyond racial justice, at its heart is a call to conspire and collaborate with others in building a racially just democracy. Protests against, <clears throat> excuse me, protests against white supremacy reflect how millions of people of color have been denied a real democracy. It's one of the reasons why I started my 400 years project about 18 months ago, and I hope that can be put in the chat. Check it out if you would. I've got a lot to learn about anti-oppression work, lifelong learning, but it's clear that democracy cannot grow without real racial justice. So my talk was first gonna look at challenges facing US democracy, and then I'm gonna offer some ways to meet those challenges. And I'm gonna conclude by harvesting some wisdom about democracy and race from philosopher Alan Locke and from a professor, Barbara Ransby. They lead me to think that we have to listen better to younger, more egalitarian, and frankly, more radical voices. So as the movement for black lives grows in strength, democracy is being challenged on multiple fronts, that's clear. The anti-democratic tendencies of our current administration are obvious. Our president appoints family members to staff positions, uh, threatens independence of judiciary, uh, judicial and, and ethical investigations, hampers legitimate investigations, threatens the independence of the judiciary, attacks the legitimacy of elections, attacks the press. And now he says that should he lose in November, he might not accept the results. Anti-democratic forces in American life have always existed, obviously, especially by those who corrupt politics for personal profit. From the framers of the Constitution who defended slavery through the robber barons of the Gilded Age to contemporary beneficiaries of Citizens United. Greed plagues politics, and our government is manipulated by defenders of obscene wealth. Felix Adler, who founded Ethical Culture, warned about this over a century ago. He said, quote, when I speak of anti-democratic tendencies in American life, I mean aristocratic and oligarchical. Oligarchical tendencies already exist in our midst and are getting stronger and stronger. And he added the warning, things have not yet come to such a pass in America, but the time has come when it behooves us to reflect upon the actual drift of things, end quote. Today, it's clear that the drift of things is to protect moneyed interests. It continues. And around the globe, authoritarianism is threatening democracy as well. Demagogues and oligarchs are getting cocky. In a book called How Democracies Die, the authors document how nations can breed brutal oppression. Individuals and minorities are threatened, jailed, tortured, killed. And at the same time, fewer people look to the United States for inspiration about democracy. After the 2016 election, many wondered how a candidate who received 3 million fewer votes 
becomes president. And as November looms, more folks are questioning the constitutional framework. They challenge the Electoral College. They condemn the disenfranchisement of the people of the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. They're angry about blatant manipulation of elections, like, like Georgia's Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, who narrowly defeated Stacey Abrams. And somehow, he was allowed to oversee an election in which he was a candidate, an election where over 300,000 people, disproportionately people of color, were inappropriately deemed ineligible to vote. Voting sites are being closed, especially in poor areas. And in many places, the anti-democratic forces refuse to allow vote by mail options, even when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And personally, I'm anguished over the situation in Florida. Last year at our AAU assembly, we heard the inside story of how a voter initiative returned the vote to 1.4 million disenfranchised former felons. And just last month, the politicized Supreme Court ignored this initiative and stripped from those former felons the right to vote in November. Now, growing up, I was taught that the greatest threats to democracy came from outside the United States, from militarized totalitarian nations. Now I think that we're threatened most by internal weakness. Efforts to correct those weaknesses are hampered by corruption, indifference, and the distractions of consumerism. I confess to that myself. Decades ago, ethical culture leader Al Black, in a work entitled Concerning Democracy, explained, quote, the crucial question is whether democratic society can rid itself of its major defects, the excessive inequalities, the callous impersonality of relations, the ethics of the marketplace, the abuses of commercialization, the racial and religious and class divisions, the false values of lush materialism, Although democratic society must deal realistically with the threat of military conflict, it is endangered not so much by external forces as by inner weakness, end quote. Now, in the context of such challenges, what does it mean to reclaim democracy? Often, when communities feel threatened, they seek out charismatic authoritarians. And fear-mongering helped Trump get into the White House, ushering in political nepotism, economic opportunism, and flagrant disregard for the Constitution. But we cannot reclaim democracy by abdicating our civic responsibilities and having blind faith in demagogues or even liberal heroes. To reclaim democracy, we have to earn back something more precious, faith in each other. To reclaim democracy, we have to become more intentional about civic life and communal responsibilities. And we can't rely on old approaches. We have to study the present, dis present dysfunction in our country and evolve into more ethical forms of democracy. Philosopher Elaine Locke, the first African-American Rhodes Scholar, urged all citizens to nurture innovative evolutionary potentials of democracy. He wrote, it seems absolutely essential to treat democracy as a dynamic, changing, and developing concept to consider it always in terms of an expanding context and to realize like any embodiment of human values, it must grow in order to keep alive, except as progressive and creative democracy, both institutionally and ideologically stagnates. That's the same reason why Eric Liu, an author who served briefly in the Clinton White House, founded Citizen University. Ethical culture leader James Croft recommended this TED talk by Liu titled How to Revive 
your belief in democracy. Hopefully a link to that TED talk can be put in the chat. James recommended this because the talk reminded him of Felix Adler, even down to Liu's language and metaphors. Like Adler, Liu founded a congregational movement to promote civic ideals. He hosts Civic Saturdays, when people gather to hear words and sing songs that nurture civic ideals and civic action. Liu calls it a civic religion, and it's built upon a shared American history of claiming and contesting how those ideals manifest in governance and social habits. Liu says that at the conclusion of Civic Sunday programs, the most important activity occurs. Quote, we form up in little circles to organize rallies, register voters, join new clubs, and make new friends. Sounds like ethical culture. Civic Saturdays raises questions about areas of common agreement and common disagreement. Questions like, what does equal protection mean? What does we the people mean? What are you responsible for? What are you willing to risk or give up for your community? And however you answer these questions, Liu says that what matters most is action. Like Adler, he insists on deed before creed. Liu says, quote, you realize that homelessness, gun violence, gentrification, terrible traffic, mistrust of newcomers, fake news, these things aren't someone else's problem. They are the aggregation of your own habits and omissions. Society becomes how you behave. To me, the most religious part of Liu's project, if you want to use that word, is its focus on deepening everybody's commitment to the broadest conception of common good. Dedication to a universal good uplifts all of us. Liu explains, wherever on earth you're from, you can find or make your own set of creed, deed, and ritual. The practice of civic religion is not about worship of the state or obedience to a ruling party. It is about commitment to one another and our common ideals. And the sacredness of civic religion is not about divinity or supernatural. It is about a group of unlike people speaking into being our alikeness and our groupness, end quote. I was attracted to ethical culture because it emphasizes a similar commitment to inclusive ethics. I mean, my elevator speech about ethical culture is about honoring the worth of each other, uh, growing ethical relationships of respect and compassion and understanding and, and building social justice for everyone. Honor worth, grow relationships, build justice. And for me, this is a civic commitment, not just a commitment to procedures and laws, it's a commitment that flows from a civic spirit at the heart, mind, and body of all of us. I mean, of course, we have to improve the procedures, the mechanisms that allow large groups of people to rule as a collective. But to reclaim democracy, we can't just focus on technical aspects like voting booths and campaign reform. We also have to inspire civic spirit. George O'Dell, who embodied the National Office of the American Ethical Union for 30 years, said it well. Democracy is something more than a pulling of a lever in a polling booth. It means to think in social terms, to belong consciously in a community, to share intelligence with each other, to do one's work in the world so as to enhance the working power and achievement of others, to recognize that class barriers and economic distinctions are an insult to the human soul. 
and that in all persons there is the possibility of decency. Today, with vitriol and dehumanization flooding social media, we have to nurture faith in this possibility of decency. This is only possible if the aching needs of the world, the cries of the suffering, their wounds, their trauma, are all approached with healing love. But unfortunately in the past, and certainly today, the needs and cries of so many wounded and traumatized fellow citizens are answered with state-sponsored terrorism. Protesters demanding that we live up to our democratic ideals are tear gassed, tased, shot with rubber bullets, arrested. And when political power and fear breed repression, we have to bring out our best. That's what ethical culture demands of us. In an article entitled, Democracy in a Time of Terror, ethical culture leader Howard Radis reminds us that dark times call us to embody a democratic spirit. He, said, he wrote, democratic values like integrity of persons, trustfulness between persons, hopefulness from persons, endure beyond wealth and strength. It is these values that together make democracy not merely a political arrangement, but a mode of living. And that's what Liu, Eric Liu is promoting. He says, I'm not referring to papers or passports. I'm talking about a deeper, broader ethical conception of being a contributor to a community, a member of the body. We can make this ethical conception more real because it answers a deep human need to feel that you matter, that you make a difference, that you're part of an important shared project. Those aspects were central to the psychology of Alfred Adler, no relation to Felix. And this approach formed the heart of the coming of age program at the Washington Ethical Society. When my family was in that program, two Adlerian values were clear. First, the emotional needs of a teen or parent are to feel loved, to feel belonging to a group, to feel competent, to feel that they contribute to something greater than themselves. And relatedly, second, the family is democratic. Children and teens are valued as equal members in the family and their ideas and concerns are accorded the same respect and dignity. And the program clarified that that doesn't mean that children dominate. It means that their wants, needs, and interests are considered in making family plans and rules. It means they are of worth. And being a member of a collective requires that all people are heard and that those with the least power are listened to most of all. And I'm indebted to ethical culture for these insights which helped me as a parent. And that lesson is in my heart and in all areas of my life. So what does this have to do with larger collectives like our nation? Well, I think that like good parenting, good democracy doesn't just happen. It must be approached intentionally with love, guided by principles, and actualized in all aspects of collective life. Now, I don't know whether Alan Locke's mother was aware of these values when she sent her six-year-old son to the ethical culture school, but they seemed central to Elaine Locke's philosophy of life. Locke was a Phi Beta Kappa Harvard graduate who became what some, called people, what some people called a prophet of democracy. He was the first African-American Phi Beta Kappa Harvard graduate. In our current social unrest, as Black Lives Matter leads to 
calls for real democracy, I think we can learn a lot from Locke. We can learn, for example, that black Americans, in Locke's words, quote, know much about what democracy is not and have a more workable conception of what democracy truly means than those who have just enough to be content or those whom it is just a commonplace concept and way of life. So let me go a little bit more into Locke's framework. He emphasized that the first step in living our democratic ideals is to build political democracy, to honor the civil rights of everybody and to establish equality before law. And Locke went into this more deeply in a 1950 paper that he gave at Harvard titled Cultural Pluralism, A New Americanism. He explained that in America, many democratic fundamentals were, quote, pious objectives, not fully expressed in practice. He continued, in the perspective of democracy's long evolution, we must regard our country's history as a progressive process of democratization, not yet fully achieved, but certainly progressing, importantly, in terms of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, and the amendment extending the right of franchise to women. It is still imperfect. So he charts the post-Civil War amendments and the amendment giving the vote to women as ways that we move towards honoring the words carved above the Supreme Court, equal justice under law. Locke wrote, a democracy is a system of government and corporate living in which there is no distinction between minority and majority rights and under which life is safe and equally abundant for all minorities. It is a historical perspective that is really the distinctive foundation principle of American life. Our ask is to make America truly and consistently American, end quote. Now, whatever success the civil rights movement had, despite the, the horrible backsliding regarding criminal justice and voting rights, whatever success the civil rights movement had was due to the fact that equality before the law is relatively concrete and verifiable. But democracy requires more than only honoring political rights. Algernon Black, an ethical culture leader who was deeply committed to democracy and minority rights, knew that democracy has to be more than political rights. He wrote a book called The Young Citizens, the story of the encampment for citizenship. And in it, he said, to fulfill its promise, democratic society must concern itself with human need and human potentials. In the sharing of power and decision, men and women must work to extend the way of freedom and equality to all areas of human relations." End quote. Only when democracy is extended beyond politics can it, in Black's words, enable people to live in unity with diversity, in a condition of equality of opportunity with provision for the uniqueness of the individual under a framework of fundamental law by which majority rule is combined with minority security. But Alan Locke called for democracy to extend into economic, cultural, and global spheres as well. And regarding economic democracy, Locke praised the 16th Amendment and the establishing of income tax and the social security system as first steps towards addressing the economic inequality built by enslavement, oppression, union busting. We also have before us this harder project of constructing cultural democracy. Related to political democracy, cultural democracy rests, Locke says, on the concept of the rights of difference. That is the guarantee of the rights of minority. Because Locke knew that democracy 
has to assure that difference in culture does not lead to exclusion from politics, economics, and culture. In this way, cultural democracy encompasses political and economic democracy. And then even broader still, Locke says the campaign to assure world democracy is important. This is labeled naive by people sometimes, this ideal for world democracy, but it arose from the ashes of both world wars. The failed League of Nations and the hobbled United Nations carry the hopes of the most oppressed by greed and unfair competition. And Locke put faith in the rise of people of color all over the globe to demand inclusion and justice. He saw the potential of developing world unshackled from global capitalism as a catalyst for global democracy. This optimism animates one of ethical culture's most profound projects, the encampment for citizenship. I know some of you know it. I urge you to look it up. There's a link that could go in the chat. Support today's encampment where young adults from diverse backgrounds gather together to practice inclusive democracy. Algernon Black, who founded the encampment with Eleanor Roosevelt, knew that responsible citizenship flourishes when unleashed in the name of social transformation. But he explained that, quote, in the competition of nations and ideologies and ways of life, democracy has to prove its survival power, its superiority. It must stand the test by its capacity to develop the vast potential powers and untapped intellectual, aesthetic, moral, and spiritual values of its people. By building strong ethical relationships with others, young people in the encampment today learn best about the lifeblood of democracy. Alan Locke explained the similar dynamic. He said, constitutional guarantees, legal and civil rights, political machinery of democratic action and control are of course the skeletal foundation of democracy but you and I know that attitudes of the flesh and blood of, of democracy and without their vital reinforcement, democracy is really more to bend or dead. He concludes, if we're going to have effective democracy in America, we have to have the democratic spirit as well as the democratic tradition. Now as a, a humanist in the Baha'i faith, Locke promoted what he called cultural pluralism and relational democracy. Like Felix Adler, Locke saw foundations of democracy being respect for the uniqueness of every person and the creation of ethical relationships. But unlike Adler, Locke knew more clearly the centrality of race in America's effort to bring at its best. So let me turn to that. Well, let me turn to how Locke's wisdom helps us understand the current racial unrest. In 1949, Locke wrote, that the race question has become the number one problem of the world, a dominant issue of our thinking about democracy. He wrote a piece called Worldview on Race and Democracy, in which he said, quote, of all the barriers limiting democracy, color is the greatest, whether viewed from the standpoint of our national or our world democracy. And he concluded that my reason for thinking that in any democracy ours included, the crucial question is, the test touchstone of a democracy is, minority status, minority protection, minority rights. Locke's insight about America are linked to his being, as he put it, of a race who knew best what democracy is not. 400 plus years of racial oppression in this land stolen from indigenous people we slaughtered, highlight how far we are from living our democratic ideals. 
And Locke knew that democracy would die without racial justice. He explains, America has got to be sold on racial democracy. Now is the time for the people to face this question. To save the United States from moral bankruptcy, we must solve the color problem. For Locke, who shared many ethical culture ideals, democratic pluralism is about unity through democracy. In 1942, he wrote a work called Color, The Unfinished Business of Democracy. And he states, world leadership must be moral leadership in democratic concert with humanity at large. In doing so, America must abandon racial and cultural prejudice. 78 years later, Black Lives Matter cries the same. Michelle Alexander and Patrice Coolers and Ta-Nehisi Coates and Ibram Kendi and others teach us again and again and again how racism infects America in new forms and in new patterns. And black writers and activists in America are once again doing the heavy lifting necessary to make democracy real. A couple of years ago, Barbara Ransby, a professor at University of Illinois Chicago, wrote an article entitled, Black Lives Matter is Democracy in Action. She argues that the problems of democracy can be best solved if they arise from the bottom this is an insight I think we have to take to heart. Top-down approaches to violence, addiction, and poverty have not brought out the best of America. Ransby explains, quote, when people on the ground make decisions, articulate problems, and come up with answers, the results are more likely to meet real needs. And that's more sustainable in the long run. People are better prepared to carry out solutions they themselves have created instead of ones handed down by national leaders unfamiliar with the realities in local communities. Such local work allows people to take ownership of the political struggles that affect their lives, end quote. If there's anything of value in my words today, it's thanks to countless of people of color who have been teachers and mentors because they know so well what democracy is not. To conclude, let's keep this in mind as a presidential election nears. Let's keep in mind that as we heed executive director of the AU Bart Warden's call for us to get involved in Reclaim Our Vote. There's a link that can go in the chat there. Reclaim Our Vote is a partnership launched by the NAACP, Black Voters Matter, Mi Familia Vota, and other groups. And it's focused on a goal, overcoming voter repression, particularly aimed at people of color. It's reaching millions of voters in states with a long history of voter suppression, like Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Texas. And this work is crucial. We cannot afford voter oppression to cancel the will of the majority. But now and after this election, we cannot go back to business as usual. We have to heed the call of those today getting into good trouble, as a great sage once called it, those that are protesting on the streets today. To reclaim democracy, we have to learn new ways of working together. Young leaders of many movements like the Movement for Black Lives reject hierarchies of the past. Decades of work by black feminists and LGBTQ scholars and activists are showing that more collective models of leadership that include all people can best reclaim democracy. Professor Ramsey puts it this way, she wrote, the movement for black lives is distinctive because it defers to the local wisdom of its members and affiliates rather than trying to dictate from above. In fact, the local organizers have insisted upon it. 
The democratic inflection will pay off if they persevere. Brick by brick, relationship by relationship, decision by decision, the edifice of resistance has been built. She continues, the national organizations are the mortar between the bricks. That fortified space will be a necessary training ground and refuge for the political battles that lay ahead as white supremacists inside and outside of our government seek to undermine racial and economic justice, end quote. For democracy to be reclaimed, I think we all have to listen more closely. We can't simply dismiss calls for defunding police because it's impractical. We have to learn the deep wisdom of those who know most what democracy is not. Democracy can't be reclaimed by censuring the wealthy, the privileged, the powerful, the comfortable. Reclaiming democracy requires that we honor the spirit of democracy by listening to new and younger and more radical voices. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hugh. What a powerful and needed message. Um, and I'd like to, to reflect on um, some of the need for, for power to be reclaimed by the people. Um, this is a song directed at uh, the current administration. Paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. Soak up the scandals, honey, drink up the diversion. Ignore the voices of the poor and sick and hurting. Here's to the one percent, we're clearly more deserving. Dollar is my lover and my savior. Transport my golden throne to 16 Pennsylvania. Do not believe a thing you're reading in the paper. The only truth is what is written in my favor. Can't be bought or stolen If you build a wall of hatred Prepare to watch it crumble We will not be silent, no Can't you hear the thunder? So listen, fear monger Your days are numbered My daddy told me If I want it, I can get it the world's my oyster and your body is my business. I put my tiny hands wherever I can fit them. Do not dissent or you'll be fired like the apprentice. Poor kids 
go get your education in the drive Don't drink the water or see the doctor you can't afford to. If you're not rich, white, cis, and straight, then I don't serve you. so much Hugh and Emily for those great reflections. This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or on Facebook comments and um, I will read out a few things. Many, many folks are thanking Hugh for a very powerful address and to Emily for great music. So thank you again both for that. Um, Julie Campbell shares that Barbara Searle, a longtime and still member of West, attended the encampment for, peace, for citizens in its second year of existence and told her just a week ago that it was a transformational experience for her. And Barbara will turn 90 on August 24th, so it clearly has made a lifelong impact. Um, Let's see, there are lots of chat links in the chat box about the various folks that Hugh has been referring to and their writings. Um, so definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, we also, let's see, uh, Rajesh says it shook this, it shook me out of my comfort zone thoroughly, which was great. Um, Kat, Kate Lang says, if members are interested in sending out postcards to voters in Texas through the Reclaim Our Vote, Mi Familia Vota project that Hugh referenced, to go ahead and email her, and her email is in the chat. Um, people took lots of notes. I definitely want to read about Alan Locke, um, Barbara Ransby. Um, Jeff says, it's always a pleasure to hear Hugh Taft Morales. He fears that for too long Americans have taken democracy for granted, but as the old cliche says, one never misses the water until the well runs dry. So cautionary words there from Jeff. Um, 
And uh, so Sarah Morgan says, your passionately delivered platform of ideas and commands to act is just what I needed from an ethical culture leader right now. I'm inspired and motivated by your platform this morning. Excellent talk. Johnny reminds us that Friday nights from five to six in front of Wes, there's the Black Lives Matter vigil. You're encouraged to bring a sign if you have one, but please just show up to make your presence known. And we definitely um, practice social distancing, so it is indeed a safe activity. Um, great music, etc. cetera. Um, great platform. Um, Wes is being thanked for including Baltimore and, and Philadelphia Ethical Societies, and we've actually been enjoying that this summer with lots of intersections um, with different ethical societies playing hosts to our gatherings. It's really indeed lovely to interact in this way. Julie says, I love when Hugh quotes philosophers, especially those with connections to ethical culture and people of color. Love the platform. Here's another reminder set of links about the various points. And Sue is acknowledging, I think, a thought probably many of us are having of thank you to Hugh for the reminders and we need to do more. So that is terrific. Yes, thanks indeed to Baltimore and Philadelphia both for loaning us Hugh today. It's so nice when we can share uh, resources, which is a perfect segue that as just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. So not only the many talents that we have among us, but we also share here at West half of all donated cash to a program whose values resonate with our own ethical culture principles. This month, we are sharing the plate with Congregation Action Network, and West member Patty Absher is gonna tell us a bit about their good work. So please tell us more, Patty. I think Patty needs to be unmuted. I'm gonna hold down. Yes, My husband just yelled at me to unmute. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but I did wanna say that uh, Hugh's message, I think is really um, very uh, invigorating because it leads directly to our work, what we're going to do now helping the message to come from the people on the ground and travel up, not imposed on us from above. Lots of people have told me over the years that they joined West because they wanted an active social justice program. And I've always said, you've come to the right place. Over 30 some years of being a West member, I've found many others who wanted to make a difference on hunger and homelessness on immigration, asylum seekers, on Black Lives Matter, prison justice, peace protests, and lots more. Shoulder to shoulder, we have stood to protest when injustice was just too great to keep us in our seats. We've taken up our banners, marched to the Capitol, been taken into custody by the police for peacefully rallying at Lafayette Square attended hearings in Congress, lobbied city officials, collected food and funds for families on the brink of losing their homes. The stories are heartbreaking. You can imagine though, if Wes tried to organize all these actions alone, it could become really overwhelming. And that's why we have joined with the Congression Action Network since 
2017, uh, when it came into existence, we were among the first to support the Congregation Action Network. We found we would have more and know that we have more impact by joining 70 other faith organizations in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. CAN is our commitment to each other. And um, you can choose to support this work today by contributing to the Congression Action Network. Um, I know that this is a difficult time. Many of us are really having to stretch our budgets, but I know we can count on you because Wes has always been super generous whenever we make appeals. And we wanna continue the work and we wanna show the West volunteers who go out there and um, stand up and write the letters and organize various actions. We want to let them know that they have our backs. We have their backs. Um, so please do what you can to make a really good, generous contribution today for Share Your Plate. And we'll see you on the, uh, on the line on um, Friday afternoons to stand up for racial justice. Thank you. Thanks so much, Patty. And indeed, if you are a visitor this morning, we invite you to be our guest. We do appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. And you'll see on the screen the text to give option. Um, it's 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. Um, Wes and the Congregation Action Network will definitely appreciate your contributions. We will now receive your gifts and the musicians' gifts of music. Thank you so much for having me, everyone. Um, it's a real pleasure to get to witness Wes at work uh, for my first time. And to reference uh, Hugh's beautiful message, uh, he mentioned good trouble. Um, so this is a song that was inspired by Representative John Lewis, and many of the lyrics come from passages of his, uh, speeches of his. So if you feel like singing along from home, um, there's a part where I'll go, gotta get into it. And if you want, you can respond with, good trouble, good trouble. So this is good trouble. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Just the struggle of the moment, but the struggle of a lifetime. Time to step up and own it. Don't diminish your love life. To fight for what's alright, get you in the struggle. You got to get in, do some good, good trouble. You go, got to get into. Freedom now, freedom now. Do not get lost in the sea. 
sad despair because hate is too heavy a burden to bear. You got to get into it. Good trouble, good trouble. You got to get into it. Good trouble, good trouble. You got to get into it. Good trouble. combination of um, inspired lyrics from an inspired lifetime and creativity and a beautiful voice. So thank you so very much for sharing that. I know a number of folks have put in the chat that they're now following you on Spotify and the like, so that is really terrific. I also want to thank uh, so much the many other people who helped to create this morning's time together. Of course, our speaker, Hugh Tap Morales. Um, the West Chorus, whose music you'll hear shortly. Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator. Jen Watson, who created our slides. Robin Kravitz for communication support and hosting our coffee hour. Karen Storms, our platform coordinator and tech host, John Lika. Wes is pleased to welcome our interim leader, Lynn Cox, who started with us this week. And we'll hear her first platform next Sunday. So definitely tune in for that. And we are also delighted to introduce Laura Prophet, our new Director of Lifelong Learning, who joined us just a few weeks ago. Laura has worked in the education field since she graduated from college. She's been both a teacher and administrator for in-school and out-of-school educational programs. Laura has a degree in English from the University of Virginia and a master's degree in curriculum and instruction from George Mason University. She's worked in the field of religious education for eight years and feels called to help create programs that help children and youth imagine and create a just world for all. And so this morning, Laura's with us. And so, Laura, I invite you to please say hello to us and share a few words with us. I think, I think your mic is open and you can jump right in. Okay, good. Okay, hi. Yes, I am very happy to be with you today, and I'm excited about joining the staff team and the congregation at WES. Um, so I've been in this field, which is technically called liberal religious education, but I know the R word can be um, alarming to some people. So I'm going to call it ethical education, I think. Um, but I'm really excited right now about our opportunities. Um, the, seat, the switch to virtual classes for both children and adults was sudden and abrupt, but it's also created a space for reimagining what we want to get out of these programs, what we want to put into these programs together. Um, it can feel limiting, but it, it can also be an opportunity for more people to become involved simply because we don't have to leave our houses. Um, so I know our children's team, the SEEK team, uh, we're going to be meeting next week, next year, next week, yes, to get the ball rolling. But um, I'm also going to be reaching out to 
all age groups uh, to start pulling together some education and community building opportunities for adults as well. So if you're interested, keep an eye out on the WES announcements and you will find some ways to provide some input and get involved. So thank you. Great, thanks so much, Laura. Sorry we didn't have your video up, so folks don't have a face to place with the name or those great words, but I'm sure that people will definitely be getting familiar with you in the, the days and weeks uh, ahead as we begin this uh, collaboration together on behalf of learning for our children, our youth, and ourselves as adults as well. Also wanna say thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. Um, as you can see on the screen in a moment, I think we're going to switch uh, slides shortly. We have several opportunities for West members and friends to check in during the week. And there are a variety of support groups as well. Uh, a reminder again about our Friday night uh, weekly 16th Street vigil in front of Wes from 5 to 6 p.m. on Fridays, but includes sidewalk chalk art for folks of all ages starting at 4.30. So definitely come and check that out. Um, and lest anyone think we are only a serious bunch, there are two opportunities to engage in or simply enjoy humor this week. On Wednesday at 5.30, adults can joke with Jeff M. and Judy Ohm. And on Thursday at 8, the West Improv Group will make things up and shake things up. So please join them as well. You can find the details for these and all our other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. Oh, I see Paul has also dropped in a little bit of humor into the chat. So that should be about humor and voting. Excellent, uh, Roy Zimmerman, so check that out. Um, and finally, thank you all for being here with us today. I invite you now to sing along at home to our closing song, our song of the summer of collaboration and co-conspirators led by the West Chorus. Bear with us just a moment, folks. I know we can see the lyrics, but not the audio. So we're working on it for just a minute. Um, there's very many, many pieces involved in making all of this technology work. And it doesn't always come through quite as smoothly as we'd like. So let's uh, bear, just bear with us. Certainly read the words. They are inspiring unto themselves as well as this image. And when we get the audio working, I think we'll loop back and restart it from the beginning. As you can see, it's a uh, work, they're working on it right now. So bear with us just a moment. Uh, here it comes, it's close. It's close, I promise. And some folks may already know this, we've sung this at West before, you could be um, humming along on your own at home to get all primed for when the collective is ready to go. Here we go. I'm going to try again.
And in the moment, of, we can have silence while we're waiting for the audio. We can just reflect on the power of these words. Think about, uh, here we go. Well, that was a song well worth waiting for. Thank you so much to our chorus. And I hope all joined in um, from home and took that message to heart and have it inspire you in the days to come. I invite you now to join in our closing words on the screen. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, finding and nurturing collaboration in the quest for a better world. We've now reached the end of our formal platform program this morning, um, but we don't have to say goodbye unless you are ready to do so. Um, folks who would like to stay and chat are welcome to join the virtual coffee hour. We will be putting that link in the chat in just a moment. And that's where we'll have a chance to see each other face to face and actually join in smaller breakout groups to have a, a, a personal chat. Um, with with uh, folks, or you can hang out in the main room if you prefer. Um, but so I definitely encourage folks to switch over to that. Again, the link will be added to the chat in just a moment. And um, I look forward to seeing everyone in the in the coffee hour for informal conversation. And. Uh, Guests are very much welcome to join us as well. It's a great way to get to meet a few folks, get a little bit of feel for the vibe of the people in our socially distanced ways. Um, so I encourage you to jump on over there. Um, again, if you're new to the community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, to introduce yourself. That link will also go into the chat shortly, but his email address is 
NACOT, N-A-C-E-O-T, at ethicalsociety.org. And the link um, to do that is here. I will also add that. Hang on one second. So here's how to reach. Oh, there we go. Maceo's got it in there. Terrific. Thank you, Maceo. And then folks are saying goodbye. Allison, Julie. Julie's wishing everybody a great week ahead. Um, Julie, another Julie. Sarah's thanking the chorus. Janie is from Baltimore saying fantastic job. Emily Ebert is saying is beautiful. It's so great indeed to have her with us today. Um, love seeing folks there. And uh, yes, Jennifer, thank you to Wes and Bess and, and Philadelphia as well. Thank you for being with us. Um, please feel free to join the coffee hour. Sorry, I'm trying to look for that link. I don't have it handy myself and I should. Um, let's see. Here is, I will put that in the chat right now. There is the link for the coffee hour if you're looking to be able to get over to there. Thank you, Patty. And Thank you from the Dakins. Bye all, they say. Hopefully they'll be in the coffee room with some others. Uh, look forward to, to joining folks there um, if you are so inclined. And otherwise, have a fantastic week for the week ahead. Thanks again to Hugh and to Emily. You were fantastic. It was so lovely. Laura, it was great. Sorry we didn't get your video up, but it was definitely great to have you speak to us all as you start with us. And I'm looking forward to seeing Lynn do the same next Sunday. And there we can see on the screen the coffee hour link and password. For any folks who are still here in the main room, I encourage you to head over there. We will probably be closing this out in just a few